Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, January 8th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast dedicated to prayer, to devotion, to Bible reading, and to Bible study. Uh, you can find the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast as a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ doing some great work over there. Uh, I would definitely encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you're going to find some over there you want to listen to, and there's a real good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. So win-win situation, isn't it? First world problems. All right. Well, with it being Monday, we're getting back into our Bible study in John 17. Uh, but first here in the morning segment, we're going to do our, do our Bible reading and such. So let's go ahead and open up with the second day morning prayer. It's called God overall. Let's pray. Oh God, all sufficient. Thou hast made and upholdest all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever, God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring in thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right. And our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text for it is actually Exodus twenty-eight thirty-eight, The Iniquity of the Holy Things. What a veil is lifted up by these words, and what a disclosure is made. It will be humbling and profitable for us to pause a while and see this sad sight. The iniquities of our public worship, its hypocrisy, formality, lukewarmness, irreverence, wandering of heart, and forgetfulness of God. What a full measure have we there. Our work for the Lord, its emulation, selfishness, carelessness, slackness, unbelief, what a mass of defilement is there. Our private devotions, their laxity, coldness, neglect, sleepiness, and vanity, what a mountain of dead earth is there. If we looked more carefully, we should find this iniquity to be far greater than appears at first sight. Dr. Payson, writing to his brother, says, My parish, as well as my heart, very much resembles the garden of the sluggard, and what is worse, I find that very many of my desires for the amelioration of both proceed either from pride or vanity or indolence. I look at the weeds which overspread my garden and breathe out an earnest wish that they were eradicated. But why? What prompts the wish? It may be that I may walk out and say to myself, in what fine order is my garden kept? This is pride. Or it may be that my neighbors may look over the wall and say, how finely your garden flourishes. This is vanity. Or I may wish for the destruction of the weeds because I am weary of pulling them up. This is indolence. Mm, excuse me. So that even our desires after holiness may be polluted by ill motives. Under the greenest sods, worms hide themselves. We need not look long to discover them. How cheering is the thought that when the high priest bore the iniquity of the holy things, he wore upon his brow the words, Holiness to the Lord. And even so, while Jesus bears our sin, he presents before his Father's face not our unholiness, but his own holiness. Oh, for grace to view our great high priest by the eye of faith. Wow, well timed. Um, definitely, and you're going to understand that as we get into our Bible study for the evening segment. All right, well, we're going to get into our Bible reading. Um, I do want to say, obviously, I'm recording this ahead, so it gets out early in the morning. Uh, we actually got snow today. Yeah, in the desert of Arizona, we got snow today. It, it's not sticking, so, you know, 
but we did get snow. So hang on a minute. I'm going to drink a little bit of my tea. So needless to say, it's cold outside. So I'm going to drink a little bit of tea here. All right. So our reading today, we're going to be reading from Genesis 18, verse 16, all the way through Genesis 19. From Matthew 6, verse 25, through Matthew 7, verse 14, and Psalm 8. And finally, Proverbs 2, verses 6 through 15. So Genesis 18, starting in verse 16. Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. Now Yahweh said, Shall I conceal from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have known him, so that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of Yahweh to do righteousness and justice, so that Yahweh may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So Yahweh said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see whether they have done entirely according to its outcry which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before Yahweh. Then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away, and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put to death the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do justice? So Yahweh said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham answered and said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Then he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the forty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Now behold, I ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the twenty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, Yahweh departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Genesis 19. Then the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Lot saw them and rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, However, No, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, from young to old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot, and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway, and shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you. And do to them what is good in your eyes, only do nothing to these men, inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Step aside. Furthermore, they said, This one came to sojourn, and already he is persistently acting like a judge. Now we will treat you more wickedly than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and stepped up to break the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness from small to great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here, a son-in-law and your sons and your daughters, and everyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place? For we are about to destroy this place, because their outcry has become great before Yahweh. So Yahweh has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for Yahweh will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. 
Now at the breaking of dawn, the dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of Yahweh was upon him, and they brought him out and put him outside the city. Now it happened as they brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, lest you be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by preserving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest calamity overtake me and I die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there, is it not small, that my life may be preserved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Then his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before Yahweh. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw and behold the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it happened when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. And Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him for he was afraid to stay in Zoar and he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him, that we may pers preserve our seed through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Now it happened on the following day that the first one said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our seed through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot conceived by their father, and the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Benami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. All right, Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you by worrying can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew 7, reading through to verse 14. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with what measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Therefore in all things, whatever you want people to do for you, so do for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. All right, Psalm 8. For the choir director, according to the Getith, a psalm of David. O Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who displays your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, what is man that you remember him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the animals of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Finally, Proverbs 2, verses 6 through 15. For Yahweh gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and discernment. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, a shield to those who walk in integrity, to guard the paths of justice, and he keeps the way of his holy ones. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good track. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will keep you, discernment will guard you, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness who are glad to do evil, and they rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked, and who are devious in their tracks. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I continue to pray that uh, when we spend this time together uh, reading the Word, that it helps to keep us saturated. Again, it's not all we should do. We should be reading. We should be studying. We should be meditating on it, truly chewing over it like a cow chews its cud, going over and over and over it to take it in. So please be doing that. But I hope that this is at least a little part of us partaking of the word of God here um, so that more and more we're shaped by it and that more and more we walk the walk that looks like Christ's. All right. Well, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I hope you're going to have yourself a good week. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with a prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called The Mover. Let's pray. O supreme moving cause, may I always be subordinate to thee, be dependent upon thee, be found in the path where thou dost walk and where thy spirit moves. Take heed of estrangement from thee, of becoming insensible to thy love. Thou dost not move men like stones, but dost endue them with life, not to enable them to move without thee, but in submission to thee, the first mover. O Lord, I am astonished at the difference between my receivings and my deservings, between the state I am now in and my past gracelessness, between the heaven I am bound for and the hell I merit, who made me to differ but thee, for I was no more ready to receive Christ than were others. I could not have begun to love thee hadst thou not first loved me, or been willing unless thou hadst first made me so. Oh, that such a crown would fit the head of such a sinner! Such high advancement be for an unfruitful person, such joys for so vile a rebel. Infinite wisdom cast the design of salvation into the mold of purchase and freedom. Let wrath deserved be written on the door of hell but the free gift of grace on the gate of heaven. I know that my sufferings are the result of my sinning, 
but in heaven both shall cease. Grant me to attain this haven and be done with sailing, and may the gales of thy mercy blow me safely into harbor. Let thy love draw me nearer to thyself, wean me from sin, mortify me to this world, and make me ready for my departure hence. Secure me by thy grace as I sail across this stormy sea. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, January 8th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be getting into our uh, Bible study this evening, but we're going to open up like like we've been doing. We've, we changed up a little bit where we were going, um, and, and so we're going to open up in prayer, but we've been using At the Throne of Grace. Um, it was a book put together of John MacArthur's prayers by his children, so... Uh, I've been reading, I've been opening us, uh, up, opening us up with prayers from that. Now, what I'm going to do here, okay, so these prayers are based off of specific texts in the Bible. So this one um, is called Loving the Lord of the Law, and it's based on uh, Romans 7 verses 1 through 12. So let me go ahead and read this to you. Do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man." Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were around by the law, I'm sorry, aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were we were bound, so that we serve I'm sorry, yes, yeah, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, uh, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. All right, our prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we have been blessed by the enlightening ministry of your Spirit, who has opened our understanding to grasp the glories of the gospel. By him we understand that your moral law is holy and righteous and good, a manifestation of your holy nature. As such, it is perfect and unchanging. We love the law because it is an expression of your very self. But we confess that we have sinned and therefore the law cannot save us. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in your sight, because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We cannot merit redemption from sin or ransom ourselves from the bondage of evil by our own works, because we have already fallen far short of the perfections your law requires, and thus under the law we stand condemned already. We thank you that you have opened another way the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, who perfectly obeyed the law on our behalf. Although, although the law was established as a true reflection of your absolute holiness, it is not given to us as a means of salvation, but rather as a means of revealing our sin. So we can run to Christ for mercy and through faith, obtain the salvation he purchased on the cross for us. 
We are overwhelmed, we are grateful, and we worship you now in prayer because of your gift of full and free redemption through faith in Jesus Christ. You have covered us with your own righteousness, Christ having paid in full the penalty for our sins, since all the condemnation we deserved was poured out on him at the cross. None is left for us. You exacted the just penalty for sin on your own son, and you renowned I'm sorry, and you, renowned as judge of all the earth, are the justifier of all who believe in him. We glory in this gospel, O Lord of the law, and we love you for it. We ask as a token of our love that you would cause us to live in the light of it. We know that we are often unfaithful. We fail and our flesh is weak. We sin and so again we ask for daily forgiveness and cleansing. Make us in practice what we are before you in position. Grant us to it. Grant to us increasing practical righteousness and holiness. By your word and spirit, mold us into the very image of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. And now we're going to do a slightly different devotion. We did uh, MacArthur's Drawing Near, his devotional Bible. We did those devotions last week. And I think I mentioned last week, I was thinking about um, working our way through and um, trying some others as well. Not that we're not coming back to MacArthur's. We will be, but I want I want to kind of try a variety of them. So what I'm going to read from now, devotion-wise, is Thomas Watson. He's a Puritan, Thomas Watson's Glorifying God. So I'm going to read this. Um, wow, interesting. I was just reading something on the cover. I'm sorry. But this is Glorifying God, definitely a book worth getting. Um, it's a year-long collection of classic devotional writings. So this is for January 8th, and it's titled God's Life, His Glory. And the text is from Isaiah 4, I'm sorry, Isaiah 48, 11. My glory I will not give to another. Glory is the sparkling of the deity. It is so co-natural to the Godhead that God cannot be God without it. The creature's honor, however, is not essential to his being. A king is a man without his regal ornaments, when his crown and royal robes are taken away. But God's glory is such an essential part of his being that he cannot be God without it. God's very life lies in his glory. This glory can receive no addition, because it is infinite. It is that which God is most tender of, and which he will not part with. I will not give my glory unto another, Isaiah 48:11. God will give temporal blessings to his children, such as wisdom, riches, honor. He will give them spiritual blessings. He will give them grace. He will give them his love. He will give them heaven. But his essential glory he will not give to another. King Pharaoh um, parted with a ring off his finger to Joseph and a gold chain, but he would not part with his throne. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Genesis 41.40 so God, I think that's right. Yeah, Genesis 41, 40. So God will do much for his people. He will give them the inheritance. He will put some of Christ's glory as mediator upon them. But his essential glory, he will not part with. All right. So this week, we're going to use Thomas Watson's glorifying God as we move our way through. All right. So we're going to get into our Bible study. And I need a little bit of tea here. So give me just a sec. All right, so we've been working through John chapter 17, and we spent our first three days in John 17 um, last week dealing with um, the real Lord's Prayer, the, the realization that, and, and if you didn't know this, didn't understand this, um, my pastor, and I know John MacArthur does too, but I, I and first time I heard it was my pastor, and then I found out John MacArthur did the same thing, um, what we typically call the Lord's Prayer, which is somewhere, I think you find it in Matthew 7? Matthew 6, Matthew 7, maybe it's Matthew 6, but you find it in there where, where Jesus gives the disciples an example of how they should pray. And we call that the Lord's Prayer, mistakenly. Um, really what that is, is that um, my, my, my own pastor, Pastor Jay here, calls it the Disciples' Prayer. I think that's accurate because that's what he's doing. He's teaching the disciples how to pray. It's their prayer. But this is the Lord's Prayer. This is, this is our Lord and Savior praying to the Lord of the universe, praying to God. 
That's what it is. It is a divine communication. So we dealt with that over three evenings, talking about the setting of the prayer, the substance of the prayer, and the significance of this prayer. Because it's really, really easy for us um, as as humans and, and flawed humans at that to, you know, to run through John 17 and read it and go, oh, pretty cool prayer. And we move on and we forget, we miss the significance of it, of it. Again, this is a communication between two parts of the triune Godhead, between the Father and the Son, between, well, from the Son to the Father. Um, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. Through this, from the Son to the Father. Um, you know, and, and in a lot of cases, you know, praying about the disciples, and what they should, what, what he wants for them, what he'd like for them, but also praying for us, praying for you and me. Um, so, you know, we, we need, we need to see that and we need to grasp that. But then what we moved into here, um, as we went to finish out the first five verses, and again, it's kind of broken down into the fact that the first five verses are Jesus praying for himself. Then, um, from six to, I believe it's, um, Um, oh, sorry. It's six through 19, um, is Jesus praying for the disciples. And then from 20 through 26, it's Jesus praying for the world. Well, I'm sorry. It's Jesus praying for his church, for other believers, for those who believe beyond the 12 or the 11 at this point. Now it would be really, really easy for us to mistake. And, and I don't want to go through too far because we've already talked about this a couple of times over the last week. Plus, um, that, um, when Jesus is praying for himself, he's he's not praying, oh, Lord, take care of me. Oh, Lord, do this. It's Lord, be glorified in me. Help me. It's it's about the work he's trying to do. And again, we're going to talk about that today. Um, but it's about the work he's trying to do. The, well, the work he's been doing and he's he's heading towards completion. You, we, we realize. And I have to remember, this is within hours of him being arrested and tried, falsely convicted, um, beaten till he's unrecognizable and then crucified in unjustly crucified. So, so he's within hours of that, but he's praying that God would, would bring his work to completion, would, would be with him and help him bring that work to completion, the work he's trying to do. So we came into this new section. So we're trying to work through the rest of verses one through five, this Christ praying for himself um, again, not selfishly. So, this section, uh, basically 1b through 5, uh, verse 1b through 5, we've been dealing with Jesus' prayer and the eternal plan of God. Again, we saw that that's really what this is, is Jesus praying to God about the eternal plan, about the eternal plan, about these disciples, about the strength for these disciples um, to help them continue uh, the work they're trying to do and stuff like that. So, um, so we saw... At the beginning, uh, in verse two, the right he possessed, possessed, I'm sorry, possesses verse two, even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given him, he may get, give eternal life. Thus Jesus gives eternal life, life. That's the right he possesses. God has given him that right. Um, and then verse three, we saw the relationship he offers, and this is eternal life that you may know. I'm sorry, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Again, makes clear that it's the right he possesses to give eternal life, but then offering that eternal life, that eternal life is a relationship, a relationship with the true God. Um, that's the no there. We talked about that, that they may know you. The no there is an intimate, that agape love, that knowing, that intimate knowing of it. So that's what we've seen so far. So what we're looking at today is the requirement he meets. This is verse four. And then tomorrow we'll wrap this section up, God willing. So let me read to you. John 17, verse four. I glorified you on the earth, having finished the work which you have given me to do. And of course, he's going to go on in verse, verse five saying, you know, because he said in verse four, I glorified you on the earth. We're going to see in verse five, he's going to go, Father, glorify me together with yourself. Um, because again, Jesus cannot be glorified unless God is glorified. I mean, they, they it's, it's, it, it's tied together. I mean, it's melded together. Again, there are two parts of the triune Godhead. So, but verse four, I glorified you on the earth, having finished the work, which you have given me to do. 
So again, in God's perfect plan and in keeping with his perfect justice, Jesus had to come to earth to save us. He had to come to earth to save us. Um, there, there was nothing else he could do. Um, why do I have, I'm sorry. I've got something. Oh, I know why. Um, yeah. Wow. I'm sorry. I have the wrong. I must've left an extra in here. Um, but anyways, I'm sorry. I must've clicked something wrong, but anyways, he came to save us. Um, Luke 19 verse 10 for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Again, he came to save we sinners. Um, you know, anybody out there and I want to say to you and I, and I've, and I say this first to myself, um, he's not coming to save us because we have any value in ourself. Um, we, we were actually talking about this, um, our Sunday school class, we're going through Jeremiah Burroughs, um, the rare jewel of Chris, Christian contentment. And we were, we're talking about the, the way we are taught, the way God teaches us to be content. And part of it is, is he makes clear to us that we're nothing and we're not deserving of anything. I mean, where we run into discontentment is when we we think we're owed something. Let's be real. We're not owed anything. We're not owed anything. You know, you know, the one thing we are owed, excuse me, let me correct that. The one thing you and I are owed from a just God is death. That's what we're owed for our sin nature because we are sinners we, we, we don't, we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And that is the entirety of mankind. We are sinners. Okay. Now I'm not saying that to drag you down. Actually, what that should do is that should boost you up because even in spite of that, Luke 19 verse 10, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's us. We sinners. He's, he's come to seek and to save the lost. Okay. And that's the thing. And he does it perfectly. Um, so, and in doing so, he gave Jesus a gift. Jesus gift is us, is those that are saved. We're given to him as a gift, as an inheritance. Okay. Um, but we've got to see the humility and exaltation of Christ in this plan that we're talking about here, Philippians two verses one through 11. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion, fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves not merely looking out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests, interests of others. Now, here's where we go. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which, please understand, stop for a minute, was the worst, worst death of man imaginable and was meant for the lowest of the low. So true humbling here, going on in verse 9. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So again, the Son was willing to do all of this. Was willing to do all of this. Thus, we see in verse four, I glorified you on the earth, having finished the work which you have given me to do. That's what we're looking at here. That's what we're seeing here. Um, this is the work he's completing. This is what he's talking about. This is what he's praying about, that I glorified you on, uh, I've glorified you on the earth, having finished the work which you have given me to do. He's being clear. Yes, I would agree. The work is not quite finished, but the fact is this is Jesus and he knows exactly how far he's going to go. 
He knows exactly how far he's going to go. So basically what he's saying here is this is as good as done. That's what he's saying there. The work that God commissioned for him is almost done. John 8, 46. Well, actually, let me say this. And he did it perfectly. He did it perfectly and he did it without sin. And that's the only way he could have done it. We have to understand that. It it becomes very, very easy um, when we are looking at the work of Christ for us to forget what it took to do this. Um, John 8, 46 This is Jesus responding to the Pharisees. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? Again, he's making clear that he is not sinful. Um, Second Corinthians, um, I'm sorry, I need to. It's second Corinthians 521. Okay, sorry. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Um, and Hebrews four, um, 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things like we are yet without sin. Again, Jesus Christ is sinless. He is truly sinless. He could not have done what, what he did, he could not have accomplished what he accomplished were he not sinless. We have to understand that. Um, a key part of who Jesus was, was his obedience, his obedience to God, his obedience to this plan he's praying about. But to be obedient, he had to be sinless. He had to be a sinless. And when we talk of that obedience, there's an active and a passive obedience. The passive obedience we talk about all the time because it's him allowing himself to be arrested, to be tried, and to be unjustly crucified. But his active obedience was living a perfectly sinless life. Um, We see there um, in Matthew, I think it's in Matthew, where he goes to be um, baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me? And Jesus says, Let's do this this way now for all righteousness. It's something along those lines. And what he's talking about, he's he's not talking that he needs to actually be cleansed or anything like that. What he is doing is making sure that he is perfectly walking in God's law. And he did so throughout his earthly life, throughout his temporal life. He walked it perfectly within the Mosaic law that God laid down. Please understand, and I've said this to you before, but I want to make clear, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, the scribes, their issue was not with, no matter what they said, was not with the fact that Jesus was violating Mosaic law. He was doing no such thing. He was violating their rabbinical law, their rabbinical traditions, the Talmud that they had wrote. The Talmud is not the Bible. The Talmud that they had written in trying to codify the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law doesn't need codifying. It is complete in and of itself. But these men could not leave it that way. And they had to give all kinds of little detail to it. Detail that in a lot of cases contradicted the Mosaic law. And, and Jesus calls them out on that. So their problem with this it is he violated the Talmud, not the Mosaic law, not the law of God. He violated the law of man because the law of man violated the law of God. And he was very clear about it. Um, um, talking about it this morning, um, I, I actually, I think if I remember right, Pastor Jay was talking about it because um, we're, we're in Matthew 12 and he heals a man whose hand was withered and he heals him and he heals him on, a sa- on the Sabbath and they're upset about it and he calls him out on it. Because it's ridiculous. And he makes clear to them that listen, and then they go, well, give us a sign. Well, the fact is he just healed a man. I mean, the the fact is this was a man who couldn't support himself. And all of a sudden he's made it. So this man can now work. He's given this man basically back his life. Cause as it was, this man was probably living on whatever donations he might get. And they probably were pretty parsimonious, um, meaning small because he's living. We always forget that. We think, oh, well, you know, these beggars, they ought to be pretty well off. No. 
The fact is they live in a society where probably 99% of the people were living hand to mouth. We're living paycheck to paycheck and their paycheck. They got paid every day. Basically what they got paid one day is what fed them the next day. And that was it. They, they didn't have a lot to live on. They, they, they weren't sitting there with big bank accounts and stuff. These, these folks didn't have that kind of thing. So I'd imagine his donations were pittances. He now can go work. Jesus has given him back his life. That's within the Mosaic covenant. Oh, but it was done on the Sabbath and you can't violate. Man, are you kidding me? I mean, he calls them out across the gospels. Um, he goes, well, the fact is, you know, you, you got an ox or a donkey fall into a well, you're going to, or your children, you're going to pull them out, aren't you? But he's not supposed to heal, heal somebody that that's their issue, their issue with him. So that's what, the, what he's dealing with there. That's what their problem is with it. But the fact is he walked a perfectly righteous life from birth until crucifixion. That righteousness is the righteousness that is draped on you and I. That is what makes us, if you look at Ephesians 1, so that we can stand holy and blameless before a just God. Not because we are holy and blameless. We are positionally that way because we are saved in Christ and his righteousness covers us because our dirty rags of sin clothed him and he was punished on the cross. The finality of that work. Again, he could not have been that sacrifice. We have to remember that, that these, these sacrifices within the Mosaic law, please understand his, his crucifixion was the final sacrifice to put paid to. What I mean when I say that is to end the Mosaic covenant, that it finally completed the Mosaic covenant, no matter how many thousands and hundreds of thousands or even millions of sheep and oxen and donkeys and camels and whatever else got goats got sacrificed. None of those completed, and, and there's there's no way they could have sacrificed any uh, enough to have ever completely compl to have completed the Mosaic covenant. But Christ's crucifixion, because he was truly sinless, yet because of that, making him a pure, clean sacrifice. Yet again, we saw that. Um, where'd it go? Um. Second Corinthians 5 21, he made him. So God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So again, but our sin on Jesus put his pure righteousness, which he had earned that we never could on us. And then Jesus paid the price. He paid that debt. That's the work he's talking about here. And that's why he's saying, I glorified you on the earth, having finished the work, which you have given me to do again. He walked that walk. He proclaimed God. He, he, he did the miracles of God. He clearly honored God in everything that he did in every step. He took everything he said, all of it. He honored God. And that's the requirement he meets is to purely glorify God by walking this walk and doing this ministry by living his life perfectly so that he can be that pure sacrifice on the cross. And that's what he's praying about here. And that's what we see here in John 17, verse four. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this evening. I thank you for spending this time with me. I, I continue to pray that our time here in the scripture, um, that it helps you, um, that it helps both of us truly, um, to better understand the scripture, to, to grow in it, um, to be better partakers of it. Um, again, like I say, even with our reading so that our walk is more and more like Christ, that, that, that we look more and more, more like Christ, or as Ephesians five, one says that we be imitators of God. we be mimetes was the Greek imitators that, that we take on all the appropriate characteristics of God in ourselves. So obviously not the miracle doing and any of that, but, but that we truly are loving and gracious and merciful and, 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 and pure pious. We try to be pious. That's what it's about. So I would pray that this helps us to get there. All right, let's go ahead and close out in prayer. We're going to close out with the second day evening prayer. It's called bounty. Let's pray. 
Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare, our welfare, excuse me, and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of this world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening. Again, thank you for spending this time with me, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.